Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Rachel talking about Step 1. Hi, my name's Rachel and I'm an alcoholic. This is like my worst fear come true. Um, I'm always really reflective at this time of year. You know, my sobriety date was on the 7th of March 2016, so I'm in that sort of six-week period before that. And always, you know, step one, I don't call it step one when I'm feeling this, but step one's really nose-to-nose with me because I remember a particular incident. um, I was driving to work. Um, I'd been in rehab twice and busted really badly out of rehab both of those times. Um, Both times I thought I left rehab all sorted out, you know. (laughs) And I remember calling my counsellor, you know, and I thank God for all the wonderful support mechanisms we've had around ourselves in our various journeys and I called my counsellor and I was on the side of the road and I was on my way to work and it was like quarter to eight in the morning and I said, you know, I was in tears and I said, I um, I just can't stop drinking and I don't know why, you know, and it took that smashing for me, you know, and I'm when people, um, when I first came around and people shared that they were a grateful alcoholic, I thought you were crazy as a cut snake. You know, how could you possibly be grateful for that? And always at this time of year, I'm brought back to that moment um, and I'm brought back to, you know, I can still feel, you know, I had the highest strength vodka can in my centre console driving to work ringing my counsellor. You know, um, the insanity of it, it just doesn't even bear, um, I can't even really capture it. You know, on top of that, you know, just to ID really quickly, at that point, you know, I was facing needing a liver transplant. I would drink going in to see my gastroenterologist. He would have fear in his eyes and I would drink coming out of that, you know. Um, So, you know, there's insanity in an absolute nutshell. Um, So when I came into these rooms, you know, just really quickly, I was a progressive drunk. I don't remember you know, having that back, you know, that big, you know, I'm, I've arrived, I feel fantastic. Once I had a drink, I don't recall that. I don't recall necessarily fitting in. I don't recall that being a problem either. I just figured everyone sort of felt like that. And over the course of, you know, um, when I first picked up that fluffy duck back in when I was 16 at the Ringwood Chinese, you know, um, you know, my, you know, very slow burn of active alcoholism took off, as has my slow burn in sobriety, you know. Um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't share like that. I, you know, I wasn't a real big book person. I really struggled. I was so baffled when I came into the rooms, but I'm getting ahead of myself anyway. You know, I went from drinking in the norm, you know, drinking as a badge of honour, drinking on the Friday nights with the, as with the girls, and, you know, somewhere over that, you know, almost 30 years, I drank every night, um, and the only time I felt that I'd ever come home was in that period between um, going into hospital and getting that liver diagnosis and going to rehab twice. You know, I was really, for the first time, genuinely trying to um, control or not drink, you know, because... And I remember picking up a, um, a vodka and orange in the morning that I'd left on the bench the night before because I was so fantastic. And, you know, I was in my controlled drinking. I didn't need that one, despite the fact I shouldn't have had any. And I picked up that drink. And for the first time, I felt like I was home. And I never put that drink down. And I knew in that moment that I was buggered, you know. But, 
you know, the talk about the unmanageability and the insanity of the drinking, you know, I, um, I couldn't bear that thought process, so I drank it down for the next nine months, you know, until I finally, you know, had a moment that was, you know, really one of those God jobs, you know, and by the grace of God, you know, I put it down um, on that 7th of March because of a conversation with a girlfriend about another friend that had um, recently died from cancer and she left her two kids, you know, without a mum. And all of a sudden I realised, you know, and it's really important, I think, that we never, ever forget, you know, those feelings. All of a sudden I realised that my eight and my ten-year-old were not going to have a mum, you know, because it was without a doubt. If I kept drinking, you know, I would not only need a liver transplant, I would not be eligible for it. So, you know, step one, you know, going nose to nose was step one for me, you know, because when I first came in at the early stages, you know, I came in thinking my liver needed me not to drink. You know, that was it. I was so insane. Um, I didn't realise alcohol was really my problem. I didn't realise alcohol was the thread against all of my issues. Um, and, you know, it was just by the grace of these rooms and sitting here long enough with enough desperation that I managed to put that, you know, that drink down. Um, I, I still remember, you know, and it's really important, I go back to those moments where I just, um, I couldn't bear the pain of being alive. Um, and, you know, I realised, and it's funny, right, one of my enduring character defects is perfectionism and followed quickly by self-sabotage, right? So um, I like to try and get it right. I'm trying to get ready for this, and I'm, I'm just going to come from a place of total honesty because, you know, for me, when um, I was getting ready to do this step one share, it was compounding with this time of the year, and I thought, I've got a really good grip on powerlessness, and, you know, I had this real struggle with what our manageability really meant, um, and, you know, I was going through this and I was remembering that no matter what um, was happening in my life, um, I couldn't not drink until, you know, a power greater than myself, you know, managed to intervene. And, you know, classically I was going through what I would share today and I realised, you know, because this is what I do, I didn't really understand unmanageability, right, because unmanageability for me I felt I could still have in sobriety, you know, like the last speaker shared. Um, and to a degree, you know, there's been a lot of unmanageability in my sobriety. But the big difference is with all of those issues piling up, you know, I haven't picked up a drink over them, you know. I haven't a day at a time picked up a drink with all of the chaos that still can go on in my head. And every now and then I've even had glimpses and moments of, like, awesome peace and serenity, but, you know, they haven't been all the time, you know. So my very human experience of sobriety has been... You know, it's been quite messy. Um, it's been at times really, really quite painful. Um, but not one moment of it has been as worse as those moments in active addiction if I'm really, truly honest and I take myself back there and I rewind the tape and I remember those, those you know, those last drinks. Um, and, you know, so I'm really grateful, you know, for that. And I think that that still is, sounds a bit crazy, but not quite as insane as I used to be. Um... When I first came into the rooms, you know, I didn't identify with the terms, like I said, powerlessness or unmanageability, but I did recognise um, parts of me that had been there long before that that had been in the background with what brought me into the rooms. I was restless, irritable and discontent from a kid. You know, from the moment I sat here long enough while I was trying to work out what step one meant, you know, those messages started... I came to start really identifying with how people felt and what brought them through the rooms. And... Um, you know, I realised that, you know, I'd felt restless and irritable and discontent since I was an absolute kid, 
you know. I couldn't understand the steps. They absolutely baffled me. That's the only word I got out of all the, you know, the prayers was baffled. Um, I remember sitting with my sponsor in really early sobriety and we were going through a set of questions around powerlessness and unmanageability and um, I didn't, again, really, you know, it's a point when that, I was in that nine months, I was in the rooms, but I was still coming, you know, driving up to a meeting with a boot full of grog and pretending it wasn't there. And, you know, I had this, um, this blessing, this moment um, when I recently flew across to Bali last year and I grabbed an old journal and I thought this journal was blank and actually wasn't blank, I'd written in it and I'd written in it as I was going to meet my sponsor. And I was sitting in a cafe writing in this journal with a bottle of wine, you know, and I was writing, you know, and it was very clear, you know, to see that level of justification, rationalisation and denial, because they are me and disease, you know, um, I could, I read that and I was so shocked and I went, you know, if I hadn't captured that, I'd be easy to forget, you know, what it was like and, you know, I could see, you know, I could see my desire to please her, but I still wasn't doing it for myself. And I could see written in, you know, black and white, you know, um, the desire to stop drinking and, the un and you know, just rationalising why I couldn't. And I just could not understand it. And so I suppose one of my messages, especially if you're new-ish in sobriety, is, you know, you don't have to get the lingo. You don't have to understand the steps intuitively to start with. You just have to, you know, and I couldn't understand, you know, a higher power or what handing it over it was or um, any of those things. But what I could understand is when I came into these rooms, um, I knew I did have a problem. So I had identified the problem was that I couldn't drink alcohol. I didn't know that I was an alcoholic and I didn't know how much alcohol played a part of that. You know, but with that journey, you know, if I can hand things over to my sponsor, if I can hand things over and get myself a home group, if I could get some responsibility of that home group, if I could start doing the steps, and my first pass at the steps was pretty, pretty, you know, light on. You know, I look back and um, I got to the amends sort of process and somehow it all just dribbled away, you know. So I've had this slow burn sobriety, I'm almost four years and I'm just, you know, going through eight and nine again and it's really, really, really painful. Um, and there's a lot of amends to be made that I haven't, you know, done yet. But I'm actually really grateful that I listened to the caution at the time that said not to, you know, charge on through and to take it as I needed. And because, you know, for me, you know, that perfectionism, I wanted to be that person that, you know, went to the Arch of Freedom, did the steps in however many weeks, bang, 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 and, you know, got, you know, um, got, got it all perfectly right. And, you know, yet I did the three-step waltz for, you know, for four years, really. And... It has, however, put the bedrock of my sobriety in really, really, really firmly. Um, and, you know, step one is something I come back to, you know, constantly because, you know, I've got a great forgettery um, and I can forget those painful moments because even in sobriety they're almost too painful to remember. Um, you know, I particularly also, like I've talked about not understanding unmanageability and I remember a member sharing to me is, you know, another way to think about it is it's unbearable you know, and when I think about it again, nothing was as unbearable as trying to stay stopped. You know, for, you know, that nine months I knew I couldn't have a drink, I had accepted that, but I couldn't stay stopped. Um, and so that was really great. Um, really great. I don't think we ever call that really great, but, you know, <laughs> that, was my, that was my experience. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't obsess with, I didn't understand, you know, this term of physical allergy. It drove me insane because I thought if you're allergic to something, you wouldn't drink it. 
or you wouldn't have it. So it took me, you know, ages in early sobriety to come across to that. That just meant that once I picked it up, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stop. And, you know, that came in with my mantra. When I drank, my mantra was go early, go hard, go home. Because I knew that the only way I could stop drinking was go to sleep. But I still couldn't match that to this concept of physical allergy, you know. Um, but, you know, it's exactly what it is. You know, and then my mental obsession, you know, just meant that no matter how bad it was, no matter what was going on in my life, I would still keep drinking. And so I think, you know, I love January. Um, I love reading, you know, the daily reflections and we go back to step one. And, and you know, I know that... Um, you know, it's hard to do that, but it reminds me of all those elements that I cannot afford to forget. Because if I ever picked up a drink again, and these rooms are incredibly forgiving, and you can come back in, I don't know how long it would be before I stopped again. And I don't know if I would stop before I was six foot under, you know. And I don't want to risk that more than anything in my life, you know. And the shift, you know, again, I didn't come in for me, but, you know, over time, you know, I came in drinking on the back of unworthiness and all sorts of things, but over time, you know, the beauty of staying in the rooms is, you know, I now want to have, you know, the journey of sobriety, not just for other people. Um, and there were times in that early sobriety where, you know, not having a drink just meant every hour. I put a clock on, I'd go back to those early times, and I'd just get myself through an hour, get myself through two hours, get myself for three hours. And, you know, I, um, I was going to talk a little bit more about the allergy and the um, obsession, but I think, you know, our first speaker did such a beautiful job of that. And what I love about this morning is you'll get a chance to really discuss those bits and hone down and never be embarrassed not to ask the really basic questions because for a long time I couldn't ask those questions. I was really, you know, I was still all about what you thought about me. I was still all about ashamed that I didn't know the answers. I couldn't express that I didn't understand an allergy, that I thought it was the craziest concept. So, you know, use the discussion spaces. You know, it's safe and they're awesome and you can break it down, you can ask those questions and you can write them down later and you can ask your sponsor outside or if you're really lucky, you know, someone said to me, you know, actually my sponsor said to me, I'm just one of many people in the rooms. You know, you cannot rely only on me. You need to have a core of people around you that you can ring when you come, when you pick up that phone and you're really desperate. You know, I have a life too. I may not be able to answer that phone. You need to have those other people you can ring. You can ask all those people those questions. And the freedom I've got in the last few years of asking all those really basic questions and really breaking down what my issues were have it, you know, it's been awesome, but you know, like everything with sobriety, there's layers, and they're all painful, and they're all messy, and they're all ugly. And I really hated when people said to me, you know, with pain is growth, or with growth comes pain. Like, thank you very much. See, that's not recorded. Um, but it's, you know, it's true. And you know, I was still struggling with this concept that you know, my life can still be unmanageable in sobriety. And I um, rang a member up, and that's when she sort of put these other parts to it to me. So, you know, for all of that time, you know, someone said to me, as long as you get the first part of step one, and as long as you have a desire to stop drinking in uh, in tradition three, you know, you'll be right. And in the end, I did understand all those things. I just didn't label them that way. I didn't see it, you know, that way. Um, so I thought what I would really do is... Um, is read what um, is in the Daily Reflections today, which I thought was quite ironic. And it reads, you know, would a drink help? Like, how cool is that? <laughs> By going back into our drinking histories, we, show, we could show that years before we realised that we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, 
that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. That is, without a doubt, you know, my story. And most people, it's been, you know, the externalities look different. The, you know, the steps in getting sober or clean look different. But I haven't heard anyone that doesn't really align with that. So, you know, I really wish you, you know, an awesome weekend of going back through this. And I really, you know, use the discussion groups. Come and ask me the questions for the 17 things I probably planned to say and didn't say because I get so nervous. And if I show you no other thing that you can stand up and you can share and you cannot do the most perfect share, but it's okay. You'll survive. You'll still be sober at the end of it. And you'll learn a little bit every time. So thanks for letting me come. Information about the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available at stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au.